Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerd She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeele. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Hello and welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. It's Friday. Dave Dufour, and that of course means it's Nerder. She wrote, joining me as they do each and every week, my guys Mo DeKeele and Seth Partnow. What's up, fellas? What's up, Super Dave? Super Dave. Yeah. Yeah, Your intro not? makes me think I'm at like an EDM show waiting for the drop. <laughs> we just need like, him to start just going like, like, like an EDM rockets. DJ or something. <laughs> I mean, you got the headphones With on. With the headphones you know? and everything. Yeah. Just have it like the one ear and just do the bop sort of thing. You might yeah. be able to do the... The, the, the whole thing. I'm more of a lo-fi guy, you know, a little, a little laid back. I, but I don't think anybody's showing up somewhere to listen to lo-fi. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. If there is a lo-fi DJ set, somebody let me know if it's out in, in L.A. Maybe I'll check it out and take a nap. Guys, uh, rivalry week. Spicy. Uh, this has been, so far, I think it's pretty good. Wednesday night was nuts in the NBA. I, I thought... Leaning into some of these, uh, you know, historic rivalries, but also more recent rivalries, this whole thing with Golden State and Memphis, where I just wish Memphis needs to win a game at some point so that we can actually make this feel like a rivalry. But uh, I I like the action and I like that the league's leaning into this and trying to make us care about these games. It's fun. Rivalries are great. Rivalries are great. And the best stuff about I think the best rivalries come from playoff battles, you know, and I think that's what we're seeing in this Memphis golden state rivalry all the way to, you know, they win the championship and clay Thompson claps back at the, the, the Grizzlies then, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of fun with, with all of those things. I think, you know, we, we've lost it a little bit. Seth and I did the uh, net Sixers game on playback the other day. Uh, it was chippy. Like it was, it was actually a lot of fun to kind of see a little bit of animosity. I want to see more of that, you know, and I know this is kind of an old school. These guys are old friends or whatever and things. I want to see a little bit more of just the chippiness in general. Like, nah, we don't like them. Yeah. Nets Philly. I I don't think that they're friends. That's not, that's, that's the one sort of rivalry that there is. Those guys are not getting along. I mean, Ben Simmons was out there pushing people. It was about as aggressive as I've ever seen him. Oh, there was a there was a play where he kind of sort of went to the basket a little bit, uh, uh, early second quarter, and it looked like PJ Tucker maybe elbowed him or punched him or something in the ribs, and he kind of ran back down the court, going, and then he went hard to the basket, five straight possessions. He he like, played hard that game, yeah. like that was an aggressive Ben Simmons game, like in in general, like wh- whether it was good or bad, who knows, but like. He was aggressive in this game. It was like they turned the button on, and that's the Ben Simmons the Nets actually need. 
and Kyrie and James Harden kind of mixing it up a little bit, which of course, you know, these, this is a little bit, that series is personal. That's one, pretty personal. One small one to pay attention to Nick Claxton blocking Joel Embiid at the rim. Joel Embiid getting a dunk off of a cherry picked play right after that. And then on his way down shoves Claxton. It actually had flashes of, I don't know if you remember when the, the Shaq and Andrew Bynum game. Yes. Bynum gets a dunk on Shaq. Shaq runs down on the floor, grabs him and gives him an elbow. Like it was, it, it obviously not as prolific as those two, but like, it was a fun little, I was just like, damn, we're, we're here. We're, and, we're and getting this and, kind of stuff. Embiid might be the pettiest, you know, great player that we have in the league. Like if we're comparing pettiness to, to actual playing ability, he might be at the top of the list. I mean, he's, you talked about Ben Simmons coming out hard Embiid, I thought came out hard. I mean, he was very physical inside, and every time Ben Simmons was guarding him, especially on a post-up, he was trying to take it to the rack. He looked like Shaq. I mean, that was – it was – do we have to get these guys pissed at each other to, to get this kind of game? So this leads to my favorite thing, which is shit housing. Yeah. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a term that has mostly been used in soccer, but I think it – like, I think it's fairly self-explanatory. And Joel Embiid is the number one shithouser in the NBA. Uh, the, him, him coming out with, like, the Degeneration X tweet at Kevin Durant after that this game. Like, yes, maybe, maybe not, like, dislike each other. But we talk so much about wanting these regular season games to matter. If we, if the, if these guys, these guys are competitive enough that if you give them that spark, it will matter to them, and if it matters to them, it will be compelling. This is the argument in favor of the midseason tournament. If the players care, it will be good. Now, that also leads me to maybe my least favorite thing, which is the double tech. It's like this is good. This thing is like stop it, stop like like get out of the way. Let this happen. You're you are you are you are removing the thing we most need by guys like Nick Claxton and 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 uh, and and Embiid are just jawing back and forth and great. Nobody's gonna fighting. throw a punch. Nobody's, Nobody's fighting. fighting. Yeah, Joel like, Embiid is not let fighting. Happen first. Yeah. Let something happen first. Let something happen. Maybe if there's a scuffle in the game and people start to get chipping and we're like, no, we're done. But let like let that happen first before we just like. Stop intensity. Wednesday night was insane for technicals, double techs. Um, uh, Steph Curry gets ejected for throwing his mouthpiece, which, by the way, I mean, yeah, you're, you're you gonna get. To. You got to. Um, yeah. You you can't even excuse it, and it sucks because Steph should know better. Um, but it's like the second or third time this has happened. To, he's yeah, done that too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna have to lose the mouthpiece. Um, I, I just he can't be trusted with it. But you, you got to <laughs> let these guys. You can't set it up. And say, okay, Philly, Brooklyn, we know you actually don't like each other. Now come play uh, against each other. Play physically. We want to see you compete. But the second that it starts to get, it, it, that interaction between Claxton and Embiid in particular, that's just basketball, man. That's two guys who have been banging all game long, catching their breath at the free throw line. And uh, respect to Claxton. Did not back down because Embiid is, I mean, number one, he's a large human being, but he's also one of the top 10 players in the league. And Nick Claxton, in that game, 25 points, 11 rebounds, had that big block on him. He, he on was the dunk. great. He was, he was great fantastic. in that game. But it just goes back to, you know, 
the shit housing and the rivalry and stuff that all has to happen organically. There has to right. be that, that dislike. And I honestly think a lot of that comes from meeting teams in the playoffs all over again. You know, I think we, we missed an opportunity with Miami Boston just because guys were out for, for Boston for the most part. And, and Jimmy was out in that game, but like they've met in the playoffs a lot. You're hoping there's a little more animosity, not there's not that much, but you would hope, you know, it's not what we're getting in the old days of New York, Miami, and, and that kind of heat there, but there's, there's definitely tension with some teams. And I think there's a lot of fun ones there. And I think we need to just kind of don't force the issue. Just let it develop organically. And I think, again, ultimately, I think playoffs, especially within the conferences, this is why I'm against actually doing one through 16. I think having the one, the, the, the conferences there, it sets it up to happen more often. That's a good point, Mo. I actually, I, I think I agree with you there because, and also, it's just cool, especially the regional rivalries. Like, I, I mean, that's fun. That's old school sports. That's the It'd stuff been, that we're supposed to, you know, like enjoy. It's it's fun. It would have been great for the Lakers to be good during the Golden State run because of the the SoCal NorCal rivalry, which, by the way really in the brains of most NorCal people, most SoCal people don't really give a fuck. We don't think about them, <laughs> um, but that's kind of just, it would have been fun to have that sort of thing and that mentality there. But I think that, you know, but that's the kind of stuff you need. Some of it's just luck teams being good at the same time. You had that with Houston and golden state for a bit and having that rivalry and then them meeting a couple of times in the playoffs. It's, I think that's where we get it. You can't manufacture it. Got to well, have it again. Like, I bad think boy you can you can do something uh, one through 16 is bad. Letting the number one seed pick their opponents. I, this is something I've been like, you can. I, and then, then, in the NBA though, that's just going to be, I mean, the, the, the team that they pick, they're just going to windshield them. It's yeah, just, it's, the, I, I don't think but, it'll, but it's like, Oh, you did that. Like, but then that, what if that's an up and coming team or an injured team or something? It's like, Oh, I remember last year when you, you know, like, you know, <laughs> these, these, like to be an NBA player, the, the, there are many of them carry, you know, not just chips, but logs, forests on their shoulders. And you're telling me two years ago, you wanted, you decided you wanted to play us and if we weren't even the eighth seed and you decided you wanted to play. Oh, I don't, nice. I don't, I don't think that would happen. I don't think it would bring the rivalry the way we we would hope it would. And part of it too, and part of the problem with the rivalry stuff, and this is everybody, is that player going to be there in two years? Mm. You know, and you're going to have that sort of thing. I mean, hell, I was part of the Clippers-Memphis rivalry. That was intense. I mean, to the point where Marcus Gasol was looking at our advanced scout when he was at games and would literally just give him the, we I want you, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. <laughs> want you guys like would literally say stuff to him like that, and I think you're you're having that kind of animosity. There was a ton of it. I I mean, I had it for the city of Memphis just because I kept going there for the playoffs, and they didn't have a movie theater nearby. Like, come on! But I think you 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 get the rivalry going there. I don't think it's I don't think you can manufacture it even with the. Uh, I like the idea, Seth, but I don't. I think it's a fun advantage for the top seed, but I don't think you get the rivalry at the end. Just adding petty. Just let's add petty. I like like well, they're gonna right. have it on their own. Yeah. <laughs> we well, didn't create Joel Embiid. Oh, uh, Joel Embiid just exists. Mo, you just mentioned um, you don't know if the guy's gonna be there in a couple years. The other thing is, you don't know if the guy's gonna be there from night to night. Take Denver and Milwaukee. 
Second night of a back-to-back Please. for Denver. Jokic unavailable. Um, he obviously had been dealing with a little wrist thing, but the schedule doesn't really didn't really allow them to be at full strength for this marquee matchup. But this is two guys who are two-time MVPs going head-to-head in January. That is huge for the NBA. That I mean, and both of these teams, by the way, pretty good. Milwaukee getting healthy. Denver, the top seed in the West. This this is like marquee basketball. And unfortunately, the schedule didn't allow them to to give a couple days rest for both of these teams. Now, Denver and Philadelphia, both off until Saturday when they're going to meet up in their rivalry matchup, which is just Jokic versus Embiid, which also, again, they're trying to manufacture it, but I like it. This is a good one. This is good booking. The two best centers in the league going head-to-head. I love it. But why couldn't we give Giannis and Jokic the same amount of run-up as we're giving Jokic and Embiid, and again, it's a, it's scheduling 1,230 NBA games in you know the six or seven months that they that they try to get them. It's impossible. You're never going to please everybody, and then you can't control the injuries. But man, you can control the rest, especially for this sort of thing. And maybe we we got to figure out a way. If you're going to do rivalry week, these guys need to play fewer games. For, for like a couple of weeks around rivalry week, really build it up, make it a special thing, make it something that, that the, the schedule is geared up for. So these guys can be at full strength and we can see, you know, playoff style basketball, which we got some of, but in January, I, I think that that's uh, kind of a big deal. Uh, so two things, one, I mean, Denver in particular is a, is a tough, just because ge- geographically, like they're, they, they are the toughest team to to create a a, a, a schedule for for the league just to uh, in terms of of the distance they have to travel for basically every game. Um, the other thing is that I you have to give them credit they like no recognizing where how this game set up on the schedule that wasn't the like that wasn't the national TV game at least right like the national TV game was was Brooklyn Brooklyn uh, Philly which which was protected so I think. You know, as you say, you, would you like the, the 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 meeting, the one meeting in Milwaukee of the year between the last the the guys who won the last four MVPs? Would you like that game to be protected? But I don't know how much you can, like, you know, you go through this. How many of those little things, like, oh, like, well, the the Mavericks are playing the Hawks, and it's uh, you know, uh, Trey Young and then Luka Doncic every day. I mean, like, how many of those things can you go through and and actually like? call out to protect and still well, have a and still fit man, everything in let's just be honest charlotte orlando that's the rivalry you guys can play each other we, we, you do whatever right like you just use the teams that don't have rivals to set up the schedule you know houston you're not the kid the nobody's kid's rival right now yeah yeah use the kids the kids table teams to set everything up but on the head. this circles back to the our conversation a couple weeks ago about you know the schedule and, and what changes should be made and there's a report today that Sinclair's sport channels are preparing to go bankrupt. Uh, that would include the Bally Sports Regional Sports Network, which the, the regional sports networks are the single biggest obstacle to modifying the schedule. They, they are the ones that, uh, you know, they need the content and they have the, the least flexibility. So I, I wonder, guys, as we're looking ahead and, and, you know, look, we don't work on that side of the game. But we certainly know a lot of people that do, and we talk to a lot of people that do. I wonder if this sort of 
this bankruptcy might lead to a restructuring of the way that the league deals with these regional sports networks. I, yes. I mean, I think that, that, that they're going away just to begin with. I mean, they're going to be there. They're the canary in the coal mine of, of, of the, the cord cutting. I, I, but beyond that, I think it's, it's so much of the, the, sort of sanctity of 82 games is as you mentioned the fact that like that's inventory for the rsns they like for in terms of ticket sales if you have 10 fewer home dates or five fewer home dates you can probably make a lot of that up by you know per unit increases people aren't going to pay more for commercials because there's five fewer nights like it's they're they're getting exposure at you know 8 p.m on whatever weeknight so that's that's where the 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 money would just definitely be lost. Like it's not the national money. Like they still like they're still they're still gonna have you know the games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, and those games will probably be better because for all the reasons we've talked about. But it's the that's where the revenue bit comes from. And if that model's going away, why we should get ahead of that as a league and not use that as a constraint anymore and, and start to envision the world, what the world looks like past that, because the world is going to be past that pretty soon. I also think just if there are fewer games and that's fewer live TV things, you can actually even make a little more on the advertising because that's not there's not another opportunity there. You know, the we know the way cord cutting's going. I DVR everything still and fast forward through commercial. We know how that whole world has changed in that sense. And I just think the number 82 is just so, all right, let's just do 82 games. Like it really wasn't anything more than we need to play a crap ton of games. Cause we need to make a ton of money. And at the time there wasn't as much cross country flying when this, when 82 first started to come around, everything was really kind of just centralized pretty close for the most part. And I think there's a lot of that stuff with it. I think when you look at the regional networks and you're Seth, I'm with you, like they're, that that model is broken and is going to be gone. I think honestly, it's one of those things. I actually the league should just take over and you just start doing pass. it. That, you know, and and at least offer it to every team in that sense. You know, because I think like the Lakers would be against it probably because they have such a great deal uh, with with Sportsnet uh, with Spectrum. And I think the you know you, you at least create that opportunity there for the the regional. Uh, areas because then we also have situations where like we talked about denver nobody could watch denver the nugget in denver they don't get to watch the nuggets like that's a massive problem i went through it with the dodgers here in la like it's 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 an issue and i think those are the things there with with the regional sports network we kind of got to get get away from and the last thing we can't let the money we can't let the the we need these games because we need this x amount of dollars really be the problem to quote now, Mark Cuban to quote to quote Mark Cuban pigs get fat hogs get slaughtered and if they're just going to keep trying to just make a whole crap ton of money out of this they're 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 getting slaughtered and it's going to hurt them you can't expect the league to turn down money like I think that that's a thing like between the NFT thing and the, you know, top shot, this league is not turning away any money. And but, uh, if 1,230 games, it's a bulk television product is what they sell. That's it. They sell bulk television. And this is like baseball. And this is where all that value comes from. For but you can't step but over they, dollars. I wish they would change their mind. You shouldn't step over dollars to pick up pennies. And that's what they're doing. When the fact is we don't have guys playing. And yes, I, I, 
I think 72 games is the right number just to completely eliminate back-to-backs. And then from there, you can start building in structure to try to even more reduce resting. Because I think the majority of resting comes from back-to-back nights. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of one of those things that nobody really wants to uh, acknowledge because everybody just says, oh, well, they'll just play 58 or 60 games if we cut it to 72. I don't think that's the case. I think we'll get more more games out of these guys if we cut it down to 72 and just completely eliminate the back-to-back. Plus, and then you I mean, and the, then you the, have the, more more viewers. The yeah, the cost to the team of sitting guys if you only play in seventy two games. Like, think if there's like look at the Western Conference now, and if there's twenty games left in the season instead of thirty some, and like we could sit a guy, but ugh, like that's a, like sitting a guy that could could be the could be the difference between the fifth and the and the eighth seed. You know, and and so that it, it with that those fewer games, you need each game more. Well, also, and from a marketing perspective, if you have more time between games, it's more time to build up anticipation for these games. So you make them a bigger deal, you know, and maybe the difference between 82 and 72 doesn't change the zeitgeist. But to me, I, I think it does because you, the games inherently have more value. Every game, this Warriors Memphis game made mean nothing in the standings. But if you had 10 fewer games, it might. So. I, even just removing the bad news story of I flew with 500 miles to watch Steph Curry play and all I got was this lousy mouth guard in the face. And a $200 um, ticket. Yeah. I mean, I just think I, I just think the other thing, like just look at what happened with Seth and I. We were all set. We're watching Nuggets Bucks. We're all ready to go. And literally, an, you know, an hour, a half hour before tip-off, it's Oh, the Nuggets are sitting all these guys, and Seth and I just completely changed our plans. And we're we're watching a different game on on that. And I think that's the important thing is that's what's happening in regular for regular people. Oh, I'm gonna watch this game. Oh wait, these guys not watching this. I'll go watch whatever Desperate Housewives or Real Housewives or whatever Bravo shows out there. And it's no big thing for us because we're because we're set up to like you know switch and jump between and watch a bunch of games. I thought I was thinking about like like going to that game. Do you know how mad I would have been if I was like dry like it was, it was a, there was a blizzard here. If I was driving into downtown Milwaukee in a blizzard and just like oh I'm driving in to watch Christian Brown. Neat. <laughs> had had wow. a good game. <laughs> Decent player. Uh, guys, we uh, have to talk about the Kings, and we're going to do that after a quick break. Don't tell Jay King. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As we're recording, the Sacramento Kings are 27 and 20. They're the three seed, they have a two-game lead 
for the three seed. And we're joining the bandwagon, guys. Everyone's talking about the Kings. This is really our first time digging in. Uh, is this all Mike Brown, guys? Can we just, is he the coach of the year? Is that where we're at? 47 games into their season? It's got to be I, under consideration. Absolutely up up there in coach of the year conversation. Like there's no there's no question. I mean, you kind of just look at the turnaround with everything that they've done. I think you you look at him and you say, yeah, he's been a coach of the year. What they're doing offensively is so impressive. I don't want to say it's all Mike Brown, right? It's finding the cohesion with DeMontis Sabonis and, and De'Aaron Fox. It's making a really savvy move in from Monty McNair to pick up Kevin Herter when the Hawks are trying to salary dump a good player. It's, you know, finding value in Malik Monk. It's, you know, picking Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey. You know, it's 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 making a lot of smart moves in everything that they've done. I think this has been a a, a perfect setup there. And I think Mike Brown has done a phenomenal job with this team offensively. I think everything they're doing and the flow they have with everything. It's awesome. And he's keeping them engaged. He's keeping them going. I think this is a lot of fun with that. I think there's no, I don't know if he's coach of the year, but he's damn sure going to be in the top three. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in forever. And it seems like they're going to make the playoffs this year. Um, Offensively, when you go, like when you go to Sacramento, you have to score 125 points, period. They are, they are going, they're going to score. And that's, I mean, extremely powerful, but it seems like they, they really just, they are always scoring and the difference is if they can get stops or not. I, I haven't seen anyone consistently shut down uh, Sacramento's offense. And, and you know, uh, I'm not the biggest Sabonis fan, but man, he looks, looks really good running that offense uh, out of the high post. I got to give him some credit there, guys. I mean, this is sort of the... Uh what we didn't get to see enough of in Indiana, if you liked Sabonis, like the, you know, sort of the, the turbocharged version of a Princeton style offense, where you bring the the big man up off the floor and you use a bunch of cutting, a bunch of off ball movement. Uh, the segment that, 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 uh, that he and, uh, and uh, Darren Fox did on NBA today, where they were just talking about like their, you know, their, their elbow handoff, you know, op- the options they run off at and how that's impossible to guard. It's just like, first of all, that was great TV. Second of all, like, yeah, good luck with that, especially when you have, you know, multiple shooters around that. Um, and I, I think in some ways that's a, as much as anything, that's probably as good an illustration we can get of why the NBA is such an, in such an offensive heyday is, you know, you've got this very gifted offensively talented center who's maybe not the best defender. And it seems like, you know, when faced with that choice, 20 out of 30 teams are 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 choosing to go with the 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 offensive guy over the defensive guy. Yeah, I mean this is a really interesting squad just in general. I think just the most important thing is they got the chemistry right. The vibes are great with everything. And I think that does start with you get you get that from coaching from Mike Brown in in that keeping everybody going the rotations are pretty solid i mean trey lyles had a monster game this week like just a (laughs) random moment you know um shout out to the playback guys for trey lyles time uh the uh i think you just have a lot of those 
guys kind of stepping in and nobody just kind of bats an eye. I think there's, I think a lot of people are looking around going like, what can they do with the trade deadline and things like that? Like they need rim protectors and stuff, but I don't think they need to do that now. And I think more importantly, I think the bigger, the bigger thing right now is just, just roll with what you have and let's, let's see how this thing finishes right now. And then you put, you tweak later right now. Don't tweak in the moment they're rolling. And I think this is a very interesting squad with just the chemistry and the vibes that they have. Yeah, I mean, it, they extended their front office. You know, the Monty McNair gets a gets a multi year extension. Wes Wilcox gets a multi year extension. Um, you know, halfway into a successful season, which all right, I'm, I I would I would say go ahead and jump the gun. You don't want to lose those guys, but also you know maybe pump the brakes. It's one year. You're the Kings, be careful <laughs> with the, the Jinx. You're the right. Kings. The Jinx is we've we've seen it too many times. But my theory here is this is a commitment to the slower build. It's a commitment to not go and just say, hey, we're going to push a bunch of chips in and, and, you know, do whatever. And this is a team that, I mean, they have the offensive firepower. If they can just find a way, their defense is not good. Um, it, it is a little bit better than it than it has been. And I know, Seth, you're about to bring up the, the bad shooting luck that they've had. But I think trying to find a way to raise that defense this summer is going to be like, that's priority. Number one. And I think they ought to wait until the summer, not don't make any moves at the trade deadline, stand pat roll through. And Hey, look, you could probably improve this team on the margins, but you're not going to get the guy that you need. You know, like miles Turner might be a free agent this summer. Miles Turner's a guy who, you know, next to Sabonis, we already know. <laughs> I, I mean, not Miles Turner, but someone in that ilk that that can actually provide some rim protection. They they just they need uh, a bit of a rising tide on defense. I think that that'll be their summer project. But I really hope they don't make any moves. Let me ask you this question: Can Sabonis play with the rim protector? Like we saw it with Miles Turner. Like, are we are we gonna like what what like I would have said? Okay, a rim protector that could shoot. <laughs> he just left one. He did like just it's, leave it's, one. Yeah, you know, like it's a it's a, a an interesting conundrum in terms of team building, but that's also future Kings' problem. Uh, right now, they just need to make sure they 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 finally break that uh, that record and make the playoffs because uh, it's it's important. Like that's their Super Bowl. That's their championship. Make the playoffs, even if you get swept in the first round. Freaking your championship right there, and then and then work on the rest. Work on it from there. Seth, um, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, what's going on with the three point shoot? This three point shooting defense for this team is just—it's not been good, and I think that's part of the reason. It's almost like an anchor on their on their defensive rating, um, where where it's a little bit artificial. No, I think so. They've had structurally, they've had pretty solid defensive metrics all year. They allow—they do not allow a particularly high shot quality. Uh, of opponents now some of that you know shots at the rim are higher quality against them than it would be against some other teams because of the poor rim protection but the biggest thing as as you've alluded to is start of the year opponents were just drilling threes against them and their defense was you know bottom two bottom three in the league and as frequently happens sort of over the last bit it's kind of gone the other way a little bit. Now they're basically about even on three-point shooting luck over the season. And, you know, from a narrative standpoint, it's like, oh, they're playing much better on defense. Well, they're 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 probably unsustainably okay on defense right now because it's it's sort of gone the other way. But on balance, they're, you know, are they a 
top 10 defense? No. Are they probably overall average-ish, maybe slightly below? I think that's that's plausible. And you get the, you know, the best offense and or you know, top three offense and in the number 16 defense. And that puts you at a the level of a solid playoff team that could maybe threaten the second round, which I think I feel like that's a pretty fair description of where they are on the evidence we've seen this year. I I don't know. I don't know if second round's pretty high, but like they're I I feel like their schedule also gets significantly tougher going forward. And I feel like there's gonna be a lot of that stuff that that continues on with it. And just fun little numbers thing. I know Zach kind of threw this out there at the uh on on buds, but nine and fifteen against teams that are five hundred or better. As the schedule gets tougher and they're gonna play better teams, that number needs to get closer to five hundred and needs to be even. In terms of that, like that's a big that's a big thing. And they listen, they dropped a pretty bad game against the the Raptors just the other night, where we're 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 talking about how high powered their offense is, even at home, and they couldn't get a hundred points. Like there's still gonna be some of that growth. And now they're about to go on this massive seven game road trip. Like it'll be very interesting to see where we're at. It's a great story right now. But is it going to be a great story all the way through the season, or are we gonna end up just kind of saying, hey? Like it was a fun 50 games. So well, I we're hoping th- they get the nerder bump and not the nerder dump. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, we've given too many teams the nerder <laughs> dump this year where we talk about them and then they, just, I mean, the Pelican, poor Pelicans, just me, falling me. off a cliff. I, I will say that that's, I, I see what you're saying about, you know, how, who they're getting their wins against. That's a bigger problem if, if you're thinking of them as like a possible threat for the conference finals. Like I again, I wouldn't. Would I pick them to make the second round now? Probably not. But it's not. They're they're not. Uh, they're not a hopeless for like you know first round playoff team. That they're just there, happy to be there. Like they they could win a round and then you know lose quickly in the second round. But that's still considering the where, where they were. Just having that as your reasonable best case scenario is. Uh, I mean, you know that. Why for a, that relatively modest level of success, why is everyone in and around the team, in and around the city, in the stadium, which has been live? Why are they so excited? It's just because that's such a change from what's come before. There's hope. It's 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 Star Wars, right? It's it's you know, what what is this? It's hope. And I think that's the uh that's the thing. And by the way, there probably isn't a better home crowd than that Sacramento crowd when they get going and no offense to Memphis, but we saw what they were during the Chris Weber days. It was absolutely rocking and it's coming back there and the beam genius, just fun in that side of it. And I think that's a, that's a big side of uh, what they have going, going for them. You know what though? They haven't had Sam Jackson come out and light the purple beam. You got to get Samuel Jackson out there. Maybe, you know, uh, do a Star Wars night and have him light the beam. Um, That's what I'm waiting on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Guys, uh, trade season officially open. We're two weeks away. Yes. We're two weeks away from the trade deadline, uh, which, by the way, we're going to do our Nerder stream as we do every single year. So we'll be live at the trade deadline. We're not going to go while the trades are happening. We're going to come in after, do our analysis. Andrew Schlecht is going to join us. So that'll be two weeks from Thursday. Um, And so... The Lakers made a trade, guys. They they traded for Rui Hachimura. They sent a bunch of nothing, Kendrick Nunn, and some second-round picks to get a look at Rui Hachimura in-house. Um, Rui is a restricted free agent this summer. A young guy. I mean, he's got a good body, good rebounder, can shoot uh, when he's open. Um, not sure what else he can he can do because we haven't really seen him in, in a situation where, you know, he's given a, a, a real chance to do some stuff. Um but he's going to go play with LeBron James. Anthony Davis came back the other night. They're starting to get healthier. The the Lakers are. You know, what sort of, I guess, when you're bringing in a guy this young, who really, he's not a, a winning player. This is not a role player that, that you're, is going to push you over the hump. They're really, they're taking a flyer on a young guy who might have some talent. How do you balance their goal of making the play and making the playoffs with also making sure you get a good look at Rui Hachimura and put him in positions where you test him a little bit ahead of his restricted free agency. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. You say he hasn't gotten a chance to do, he's got plenty of chances to do stuff in, in with well, the Wizards. Okay. It's a he's, really bad. I, team. And, and yeah, but I think that, that the, the worry more is that playing a young guy plays in the perimeter, probably prefers to have the ball in his hands. That's the exact kind of guy who doesn't get to, to try stuff with LeBron on a LeBron team. So, you know, is, has he done enough in his career to suggest that he can be just a spot up shooter defender? 
that doesn't really fit anything we've seen from him so far, does it? Uh, well, I mean, he definitely is not a defender. No, but he has the prospect of being a little bit better defensively than he is. And I think some of that's a product of also just being on a crap team for so long. And, you know, we'll and then finally getting to the credit of the Wizards. They have better players that can defend. Kyle Kuzma is going to play over him and all of that. I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves with the Lakers, with everything that goes on. But like for me, it was just like worth it for the Lakers. Flyer. Cost them three second round picks. I know there's a cost to it in terms of just just sending out those those picks and what you can do in the future. But he's a restricted free agent. They're going to have they get a chance to take a look at him up close. And, you know, will he get the opportunity to develop under LeBron? I don't know, but that's not their concern. What they need to find right now are guys that can play. And you know what? He's an upgrade over anybody they have on their roster. And that's maybe that's not that's saying more about how bad their roster is for the most part. But besides, you know. AD and 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 Russ and LeBron like there's not a ton of talent there and it's a it's a chance to kind of upgrade and 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 just see what you have and maybe he's something maybe he's nothing but at the the what it costs them I think that's fine and I also think it's a sign that hey man trade market might not be popping the way we think it's going to be and that might just be the only thing that was out there I actually I'm worried that the trade deadline is going to be kind of dead I, I, it's either that or it's going to be a flurry right at the last minute. It does seem like from talking to people that teams are on the fence about pushing to, to make the playoffs because everyone feels vulnerable. There, there is not a perfect team. I mean, Denver is a one seed in the West. You guys feel like they're a finals lock. I don't Boston is it. Boston does. Boston feels like they're going to make a finals run as long as they stay healthy. I mean, I, I think, this is one of these it, – it's the first year like this since I've been covering the NBA where I can't even point – I mean, could you whittle it down to two teams in the West? I don't think I could. And so when you have a situation where there's this glut of teams that feel like they might have a chance, I, I think you're going to see some teams keep, <laughs> keeping the powder dry. I think I think we could whittle down the West. I think it's a Denver and Memphis show right now. And I think we'll see, you know, how that kind of plays out. I know Golden State's lurking with all of that and and all their talent, especially with the what seems to be a uh, kind of ownership of the Grizzlies right now. Um, I think it's a important thing to to keep an eye on, but they've separated themselves a bit. But it's more just who, who's going to make who is the sellers, the obvious sellers. Just looking at it right now. You know, the Wizards aren't trading trading Kyle Kuzma. That's done. They they traded Ruri so they could keep Kyle and 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 make a run at that. So they're 11th. That's, you know, the Raptors, we have no idea what's going to happen with them. Right? Are they going to blow this team up? Are they not? Like, nobody really knows. Maybe it's just we trade Gary Trent Jr. and that's the end of it. Maybe we blow the whole thing up. Maybe it's Fred Van Vliet goes. But there's not like a massive, we don't know what they're going to do. Orlando doesn't have anything to trade that they, that, I feel like anybody really wants that besides that they'd be willing to trade Charlotte like Terry Rozier really moving a championship somewhere. You, you know, when you, when you're going down that road, Detroit, I mean, Bogdanovich, but they've literally have, I feel like now I've overpriced him with everything that they have. When you just go through the sellers of everything now go to the West. Okay. See, ain't making a move. Portland's looking to be buyers, not sellers, which, whole other story lakers are looking to be buyers 
San Antonio and Houston are probably your only sellers. And even San Antonio is signaling like, we want to keep Jakob Pertl. And maybe that's bullshit. Maybe that's them uh, trying to haggle on pricing and things like that. Or maybe they really want to keep him. I just feel like you're you're in a tough situation where like, who is actually going to be sellers? I think this is going to be a pretty uh, low key trade market. Can we can do do you get excited about the the prospect of uh, Eric Gordon and Jay Sean Tate being, you know, the big names out there? I mean, the Rockets have been trying to get a first Eric round. Gordon. They're yeah, not they've been trying to trade Eric trading. Gordon for a first round pick for three years now. You would think at a certain point you lower the price after the second year where you don't get anything for him at the deadline. But it's pretty interesting. Uh, just. Th- that's a whole scenario, right? So, like, even are they even sell? Like, when you look at the list of who's going to sell, uh, who? You know, I think our only hope is Toronto just decides to just push the button and blow it up. You know, I I, I think that's the only chance. Okay, but the reports that like what Toronto is seeking for some of their players feels like a lot. Now, maybe this is just you know, hey, trying to squeeze the market a little bit. But like, are is anybody going to give up? Like a first round pick, I guess, for Fred Van Vliet. It would have to be lottery protected, I'm assuming. But I mean, he's an expiring contract. He's also I mean, a 5'11 guard. It, one would think that uh, if you're providing real, vet, like, you know, first round plus value in that trade, one would think that there have been conversations. Uh, perhaps, you know, he just changed agents. So maybe you had those conversations before his current agent was actually his agent. And then it was, then it wouldn't technically be tampering. Who's his new yeah. agent. He hasn't, he hasn't picked one yet, but I'm looking forward to the announcement from clutch on February. 7th. Yes. Yes, All speculation, it. all speculation <laughs> for me, folks, completely reckless. But uh, I, I just think again, too, the teams that are sellers don't really have anything. That's going to be a really moving the needle. We have too many teams that are have overvalued their own guys now at this point where, you know, like I'm going to take a shot at Detroit here. You want to hold on to Bogdanovich because you think next year you're going to be a playing team? Like that's just the wrong way to look at this thing right now. Get the value you have and then go from there. I just think they're, you know, that for them feeling like we need a unprotected number one or, or a young player of equal value or both or stuff like that. Like there's not a lot of teams that have that. And I don't know what Detroit's building for next year. I, they, I think they need another year of just this, see what they get in this draft, and then we'll know. But like from what we saw this season, and that's even with Cade before he went out, they were terrible. They looked really bad, and I was very high on them. So I don't know if, you know, I think teams themselves have to be realistic of what they are and who they are, and I don't think we have that in a, in, in a lot of places. I, I want to see teams try to win as quickly as possible as much as anybody. But I think if you look at what Dallas has been struggling with, where they, you know, they got Luka, he was too good right away, and they pushed the chips in too early. And now they're struggling. Well, not struggling, but now they're paying the price for that. I do think that's something that they need to be wary of in Detroit. And that seems like a good place to wrap it up. For Seth Partnow and Moda Keel, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder. She wrote on the Athletic NBA Show.